Good evening, and welcome to the April 2019 edition of Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, you know, I've had the honor of having a lot of different celebrities on the show over the last 10 years, but none excite me more than the young celebrities that come from one of my classes. And tonight we have a studio full of students from the LGBT Studies program at Napa Valley College. They're here to share information about their capstone project, focusing on supporting transgender people during their transition. They're all going to be interviewing two members of the trans community and talking about the clothing drive that's happening right now. It's all coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, April 28th, 2019. This is Greg Moralia with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of April 28th, 2019. The Supreme Court said it will hear a pair of cases in which federal appeals courts split over whether gay and lesbian employees are protected by the Civil Rights Act of 1964. The justices announced last Monday that they will consider whether existing federal law banning employment-related sex discrimination also prohibits discriminating against individuals based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. The justices also accepted another case involving a transgender funeral home employee, saying they will consider whether transgender status is protected in and of itself or whether it fails to meet the existing law against sex stereotyping. These two employment protection cases are expected to be argued this fall. And in Alabama this week, a high school teenager died by suicide after being the target of homophobic bullying. Nigel Selby, a former student at Huntsville High School in Huntsville, Alabama, was reportedly 15 at the time of his death. Aaron King, the principal of Shelby's school, wrote in a statement, quote, We were saddened to learn this morning of the death of Nigel Selby, one of our ninth grade students. Our thoughts and prayers are with the family during this difficult time. According to the Center for Social Equality, 74% of LGBTQ youth say they don't feel safe at school. In Alabama specifically, according to locals, there is no state-level protections for LGBTQ students in the state. And the official start of the Pride celebration season is just one month away, starting right here in Sonoma County. 2019 marks 50 years since the 1969 riots at the Stonewall Inn in New York. Sonoma County Pride planners announced this week details about this year's Sonoma County Pride celebration happening May 31st through June 9th. The weekend starts on May 31st with a fireside chat with Jim Obergefell. He's the lead name in the landmark 2015 marriage equality case and the Neon Love kickoff party. The annual Pride Parade and Festival will take place on Saturday, June 1st in downtown Santa Rosa, and it will be followed by an after party that night. Then on June 2nd, that Sunday, there will be a trans community and family picnic at Juilliard Park. Events conclude the following weekend with the Pride is Love event at the Lagunitas Tasting Room and a special showing of Don't Blink, sponsored by the LGBTQ Film Festival. The Sonoma County Pride VIP Pass, which gains you access to all of these events and much more, is available for purchase now at sonomacountypride.org. And there are two events coming up at Napa Valley College you're encouraged to attend. The first is a free HIV testing clinic happening on Wednesday, May 1st from 1230 to 3.30 p.m. in room 1204. And then in June, you're invited to attend a special workshop titled Replace Shame with Pride. Join Barry sex and relationship coach Finn Deerhart for a morning of activities that will help you find pride in who you are. The workshop starts at 9 a.m. on Saturday, June 15th. You can get tickets and learn more at napavalley.edu or just go to our website at outbeatnews.com. Outbeat News.
For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. Well, if you are a regular listener to this program, you know one of the programs I'm most proud of at my work at Napa Valley College is the LGBT Studies Program. And it's only one of three accredited programs in the entire state of California, and I'm pretty sure in the nation. Tonight, I've got some students from the 21st Century Issues and Activism class here, live in Studio A, to talk about their capstone project. And they're going to be talking with another student from a previous semester's class who's got a pretty amazing story. So I'm really excited about all this. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Hello. So before we get started and before I turn over the mics to all of you, let's just go around and have you introduce yourself so the listeners can get associated with a name, with a voice. And mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us where you are in school, what your major is, and anything else you want to add. Okay. Uh, well, my name is Riley, and I am currently a sophomore at New Technology High School. I'm 15, and I'm taking this class because, as a member of the LGBT community, uh, I I find myself interested in our history, and I want to be able to represent us uh, in a way that's positive, I guess. And I want to be able to advocate for us and be educated in it and like educate others on the topic, too if that makes sense. Now, some of the listeners are probably saying, whoa, 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 you said college class, and I heard Riley say sophomore in high school. Yeah. Uh, Taking college classes at Napa Valley College is a graduation requirement uh, at my school, and I'm about halfway through getting all the credits, college credits I need to graduate specifically. And, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity to be able to take college classes for free, especially this one. Yeah, so we've actually done an LGBT studies class on campus at New Tech High School. Again, I think it was probably the first time in the nation that that had ever been done Mm -hmm. uh, at a high school. And frankly, there were some folks that were a little nervous about that. (laughs) But but New Tech High School is really unique, too, because you've got a really large LGBTQ student population, yeah? Uh Uh-huh, like three-fourths of the school. (laughs) <laughs> that that might be a bit of an over-exaggeration, but almost everybody is some degree of gay. <laughs> yeah. And it's a pretty small campus, relatively speaking, too. There's like yes. 400 students or so. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. It's really awesome. <laughs> Stella? Um, so my name is Stella, and um, I'm actually in my third year at the Napa Valley College. And um, my degree on paper is art history, but I'm um, planning to study um, LGBT studies. So that's why I'm in this uh, program. Awesome. So are you going to continue with the art history and get this degree also? Um, So I'm hoping to just focus on this degree. So the art history was um, going into school. That's what I was trying to focus on. And then I kind of changed paths and realized that this was my passion. So, yeah. Awesome. And and so as you look at it in the future, I'm just curious, what do you see yourself doing with this degree? Um, I've thought about doing counseling, uh, marriage counseling. I I identify as um, a lesbian, so I think it would be interesting to do... um, counseling in that spectrum or working with a nonprofit. Um, I've kind of thought about going into that direction. Um, yeah. So those are kind of some options. Great. We need lots of young activists out there to replace us old folks. (laughs) And then there's Cameron. (laughs) Hi, I'm Cameron and, um, I'm currently attending Napa Valley college for my associate's degree in graphic design, actually. And this is my second year attending, so I just kind of am here to to shed some light on trans trans experiences just because, especially in today's climate, I feel like it's something that's very important to do. 
That's great. And you took the intro course last semester. What brought you to that? I'm curious. Um, I myself wanted to learn more about the history behind everything, you know, because, like, especially, again, with today's climate, you know, you try to educate people and they almost have this feeling that it's something that's new when really it's something that's been around for decades, you know. And so to be able to learn that history and be able to teach other people that history just so that they know that it's not something that's new, I feel like it's something that's really nice to be able to do. Awesome. Awesome. So part of this show tonight is a product that you are assigned to produce, right? There's a capstone project. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about what this project is or do you want me to do it? Yeah, definitely. We can kind of open it up and then Mm -hmm. if you have anything that you want to add. Um, But we're doing a gender affirming drive. Um, So pretty much what that means is um, on the Napa Valley College campus, we're going to have little boxes that you can place. um, Anything that you think would make someone feel beautiful or feel good in their gender. Um, So, for example, you could put like eyelashes for your makeup or binders. That's a big one. um, Chest binders or clothing. um, yeah, and so we're doing that April 29th through uh, May 17th, and that's going to be um, around the campus. We'll have little boxes that people can place um, their donations, and those will be in the library and then as well as the administrative building and then um, throughout different classes as well. So, yeah. So this project is is fairly hefty. You've had to do a lot of different things. Talk Definitely. about some of the requirements of it. Uh, so one of the requirements was that we had to have two, I believe. Was it two or three pieces of uh, media? Mm -hmm. And for us, one of those pieces is this podcast, actually. And the other uh, few, we actually have uh, an extra... How many? We have an extra, like, two. I think two other pieces, yeah. Yeah. Because we have three posters in this podcast. We also have to uh, plan an event. We don't have to carry out the event, but we're going to. And our event is going to be the uh, the drive that you talked about. Right. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And how did you come to choose this particular topic? Um, I think so. It's three of us that were working on um, mm-hmm. the project, and we kind of just decided that this was what we were passionate about. And um, I'm trying to think of like how it kind of initiated. I think we were just sitting around and talking and... Mm-hmm. Um, all of us had the all same of us, idea. Yeah, we all kind mm-hmm. of had the same idea. And mm-hmm. then it was just because it's something that we really care about, it was easy to kind of like yeah. create the the idea and then to have it manifest. And it, it's happened really organically, which was really cool. So, mm-hmm. That's yeah. great. And you heard in the news segment tonight the HIV testing event that's happening this Wednesday. If we get some time later in the show, we can... Uh, talk about that a bit, but that's another one of the capstone projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's two groups that are working together to uh, target high-risk populations, and they're targeting with testing on campus, so it's pretty cool. All right, I'm going to turn the reins over to the two of you to mm-hmm. talk with Cameron and go. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so the first question is, how has your experience been within California healthcare during your top surgery and transition? So um, I've actually been one of the lucky ones, uh, specifically because due to my health insurance, I've actually had a lot of my costs covered, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that I'm actually very grateful for. Um, It's it's great being in California because due to all the laws and everything, you're pretty protected and you're actually seen as valid here as opposed to other states where it's a lot harder to get access to like your hormones and to actually be taken seriously when you want these surgeries, these gender affirming surgeries. And so in the beginning, you know, it was kind of hard 
um, especially, you know, before I changed my name because, you know, with your insurance and in these, like, when you go to the hospital to get your stuff, you're still under your old name. And so for the people that don't know, when they, like, call out your name to, like, bring you back, they end up calling out the wrong name and you just kind of have to mm-hmm. walk up there regardless because yeah. they're looking around for you, you know. And so that's been kind of difficult, but it's also been kind of difficult in the sense that before even going through with this transition, you know, it was something that my parents had to come to term with. And so that was hard because while they were very, like, accepting of who I was, they weren't exactly supportive in the beginning Mm -hmm. because it's, it's a big change. It's something that's really huge to try to come to terms with because, you know, like, you watch your child grow in front of you and you have this idea of what they're going to be, especially once they get older and older, you know, and they start like zoning in on what they want to do with their lives, you already have this plan laid out for them. And so for me coming out so late in life, my parents already had this idea of what I was going to do and it just kind of all came down around them. And so they didn't know what to do about it. And so that was really difficult in the beginning. But um, once they came to terms with everything completely and they started coming around, it was a lot easier and my mom actually went with me to start my hormones. Um, she was there when I did my first shot. Um, and she was also there when I went, did my surgery. Um, it was her and my older sister who were there for me when I went to go do my surgery. So that was actually really nice to have them there. Do you, I, can I just jump in for a second? Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's a unique experience, having family around when someone goes in for their first hormone shot? I do believe that it is a very unique experience, and I find myself very lucky to have had that because more often than not, people are either going alone or they have to rely on a friend to be there for them because typically that's actually what made me so scared to come out in the first place. You know, when you come out, a lot of people still don't understand what it means to be trans, and so more often than not, you're kind of disowned and you're left to do things on your own, and you kind of have to find your own way. And so that's something that I was really grateful that I didn't have to go through. Well, I, know, I remember how excited you were about preparing for the surgery. <laughs> and, I can, and I can imagine that, that it must have been real, it would be really scary if you had to sort of do it all on your own, drive yourself to the hospital, check yourself in, and, and really just sort of be there. But you had family around you. Yeah, um, that was something that I was actually still kind of worried about because... Uh, you know, my older sister's in school, my little sister didn't have her license yet, and my father was busy working, and on top of that, my mom was also working, and she works for the school district. So I was busy worrying leading up to it that I wasn't going to have somebody to actually be able to, like, drive me back home, you know, because you have to um, have somebody there with you the day of the surgery or else they won't let you leave. Or they sometimes they won't even let you actually go through with the surgery because they want to be sure that once you're done and you, like, wake back up, that you can have somebody who will not only take care of you because you've just gone under the knife, but um, who will also, you know, be able to drive you back because you've been sedated with, like, anesthesia and everything. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. major surgery. Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Good for you. Thank you. And then kind of, like, going back to the beginning of your transition, I was wondering, like, how did you find the words to, like, figure out, like, your gender identity and everything? How did that actually trust the old google (laughs) yeah um so it was um i had already started questioning things because it actually started with my sexuality more so because 
when I was young, I already knew that I wasn't really into guys. And so that was when I first started, like, looking into um, different things. And so that's when I stumbled across, like, uh, you know, like, lesbian and, like, bisexual. And, like, I found it to be really cool that there were other people out there that at the time, you know, like, I was a girl. And there was girls who were into girls. And it just kind of made it seem like it was okay. But at the same time, I also knew that it wasn't me. Because while it was a label that I could identify with at the time, it still didn't feel like it was the right label. And so I myself, like, stayed in the closet, and I just tried to push it to the back of my mind. But um, the older I got and the more these gender roles were kind of forced on, as I got into middle school, I found myself questioning my gender identity. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know exactly what that meant at the time. I just knew that all these things that were being pushed on me when it came to being a girl didn't feel good, and they didn't feel right. And so that's when I turned to Google, and I started um, searching up you know, how I was feeling and I'm doing so, I found um, the word transgender and that's when I started looking into these different stories and I started looking through YouTube channels and I was looking at all these trans guys and I was looking at like testosterone updates and top surgery updates and everything. And it's when I really, it's when it really sunk in for me where I was like, oh, well, not only am I into girls, but I'm also not a girl, I'm a boy. And so I found that out when I was 11. and It's pretty early. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty early. <laughs> and so it was something that was scary because at such a young age, you're, like, so impressionable. And, you know, it's a time where you're figuring yourself out, but it's also a time when self-esteem is something that's so huge. And mm-hmm. it's all about mm-hmm. fitting in and, like, finding your crowd. And at the time, you know, it's not really something that's talked about. Like, I, I, I sit there and I wonder now, like, I think back and I look at other people and um, it kind of just makes me wonder, you know, like who else was going through the same struggle that I was at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's actually kind of interesting. I actually just recently linked back up with a uh, old friend from middle school and like we hadn't talked for a few years, but it turns out that he had also transitioned like me. Wow. And so I found that to be interesting because, you know, like you think back and you're like, man, like who else was going through that exact same struggle? Because you never really know. Did you repress it for a long time? Yeah. I, I stayed in the closet for like six years. Yeah. Seven. No, yeah, six years. Almost seven years. Um, I didn't come out until I think it was like four months before my 18th birthday. And even then, it was still pretty down low until closer towards my 18th birthday. Mostly because... I think it has a lot to do with, um, you know, I don't think my parents were ashamed. I just think that they were trying to make sure that I was positive, that I was sure, because they themselves didn't know what was going on because they weren't educated on it. And so it's something that's scary because you never know what's going to happen to your child because they, too, hear stories about these kids that are out there and they're getting attacked and, like, they're getting all sorts of things are happening to these kids. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that was my mom's biggest fear, you know, like, what's going to happen to my kid? And so we kept it on the down low until a few months later where um, they finally let me cut my hair. And so I went and I cut my hair. And so then I talked to my mom for a few months about starting about starting hormones. And after begging for like four months, she was like, fine, fine, you know, like we'll set the appointment. And so we set the appointment and we like went in and I had my first shot. And so it was just something that at the time it seemed... Like, when I look back on it, it seems rushed. But at the same time, I feel like to other people, the only reason it seems rushed is because they don't know how long I had it repressed for. 
Yeah. So. You felt like you couldn't get there fast enough. Yeah. I get it. I feel like that's something that my mom tends to kind of forget, too, because mm-hmm. at the time, you know, she yeah. was like, well, what's the rush? What's the rush? And it's kind of mm-hmm. just this thing where I was like, it's a rush to you because you've only known about it for months, but I've known about it for over half a decade. Yeah. You know, so. Oof. Uh, when did you decide to tell your family and friends slash peers that you wanted to transition? Like you got into that a bit, but. Yeah. Um, so after I had like pushed it to the back of my head, after I had to like, uh, first figured it out, mm-hmm. I had kind of just tried to avoid everything like LGBT related. I was like, just trying to forget. And, um, I was in my senior year and I was scrolling through YouTube and a recommended video popped up and it was, uh, about a trans guy. And I like sat there staring at the screen and I was like you know, don't watch it because you know what's going to happen once you watch it. You're not going to be able to ignore it. But I watched it anyway. And um, after that, I just couldn't ignore it. And so it was like a constant buzz in my head for a while. And finally, I just couldn't take it. And so I first came out to my best friend. And I didn't even... uh, I wasn't even... I didn't even actually say the words. I wasn't like, hey, like, I am a man or like, I am like a Mm -hmm. trans guy. Mm -hmm. I just kind of messaged her this long message and in it somewhere in the middle it was like I think I'm a boy <laughs> it wasn't like a concrete like I'm definitely a boy it yeah. was just I think I am it was like beating around the bush yeah it. yeah it was kind of testing the waters which I don't know why I even did because my best friend is super accepting she's actually so amazing and um so I came out to her and she was like oh you know like that's great and she like was instantly like right away like do you have a new name like mm-hmm. do you have like what pronouns like what do you want me to do like is there anything I can do and so that kind of gave me the confidence to be like, you know what, like, this is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And so after that, I started coming out to um, my family. And I came out to my mom. I came out to her on accident. I actually, like, <laughs> blurted it out in the car. Mm-hmm. Not the best way to come out. Don't ever do that. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. But um, so that. And then after that, I slowly came out to my sisters. And I actually can never forget uh, coming out to my older sister because she started crying. You know, and she hadn't said anything at first, so usually crying is not a good sign. <laughs> so it made me nervous, and um, it turns out she just like after she like slowed down like her tears, she was like, "I'm so proud of you," you know, because for so long my family had seen that there was something going on, you know, because mm-hmm. they could tell that there was like this burden because I was so I was so drawn, like mm-hmm. I was so pulled away and I was so mm-hmm. secluded and I had like withdrawn from everyone and everything. Mm-hmm. And they were always wanting to know, you know, like, what was wrong. And I just couldn't articulate enough. Yeah. And finally, like, letting that out and putting it out there, you know, they finally understood why I had been the way I had been for the last few years. And they kind of took it in stride. And they've been a great source of support. So for that, I'm thankful. And then you've kind of talked about how your family has been in your transition. I mean, you just said everyone's been super supportive. Um But I think just, like, within your identity and everything and kind of the intersections, how have they they viewed it? Um, It's been something that was the most difficult when it came to my dad, actually, because, um, you know, being Hispanic and being raised with those gender roles, you know, Mm -hmm. there's this whole machismo thing that you have to kind of live up to when you're a guy. And so to go completely 180 from... Um, not being expected to fill those kind of roles to my dad suddenly, you know, 
being there and being like, oh, well, like you, you got to like do this and you got to do that. And like when you have like your wife and kids, like you're going to have to do this and you're going to have to do that. And, you know, just kind of him expecting me to like instantly be able to take this on when he had gears, you know, learning it and doing it. And I had only just like come out and I was, I, mm-hmm. he had never taught me how to do anything, mm-hmm. you know, and it's something that's still kind of prevalent, but, um, I feel like the biggest thing when it comes to like the machismo thing is this whole sense of pride, you know, mm-hmm. men have this very strong sense of pride. And so a lot of times in the beginning, um, my dad and I would really butt heads because oftentimes when I would, uh, question anything, he would think that it was some sort of challenge oh, and I'd have boy. to constantly reassure him. I'd be like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not challenging you. I'm just <laughs> asking you a question. So it was actually really difficult with my dad. Um, does he, for the first few months. Does he view you as like a, a different person? He doesn't necessarily view me as a different person, but it's more so that things are different now in the sense that it's gone from that's my flesh and blood, that's my little girl, to that's my flesh and blood, that's my little boy. And mm-hmm. so I feel like that's, that's actually been something really interesting to see because, um, you know, it's always funny because... I don't know if you noticed, but it's kind of different when a dad boasts about his daughter as opposed to when he boasts about his son. Mm-hmm. And so it's always really funny to just kind of see him like go around and brag about like his son, especially because my dad actually wanted a boy. <laughs> but when we all first came out, he didn't have one. And so mm-hmm. actually it's a running joke um, that we have now where every time like anybody <laughs> talks about it, we're like, you got that boy you wanted, dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh what were your concerns or thoughts when you first uh, thought or decided to transition? Like, what were you worried about? Like, medical complications or things like that? My biggest concern was my safety, actually. Yeah. Um, it still is today. Uh, I don't like to go places alone because, you know, I never know what will happen. And it's something that my mom even pointed out. Um, she was like, you know, why don't you ever go anywhere alone? Like, even when you go to the bathroom, you know, like you ask one of us to go with you why do you still do that and i just kind of had to sit there and tell her well, like you know mm-hmm. when you're trans you know if people find out they don't always react the best kind of way i've yeah. been lucky in that i live in california so i'm more likely specifically the bay actually that i've been lucky enough to run into people that are very accepting but you know if i were to go out somewhere else i would have to be a lot more careful and i would have to let people know because in the case that something does happen I would mm-hmm. want somebody to know so that way if I'm not back, like if I go to the bathroom and it's been 10 minutes, why am I taking 10 minutes when I should have only taken five, mm-hmm. you know, it raises a red flag. So it's something that's really concerned me the most is just my safety overall, because you never know how people are going to react and what they're going to do. And if somebody does figure it out, what does that mean for you? Yeah. You touched on this earlier, but you said that um, one of your mom's biggest concerns was like your safety. And I just wanted to tell you that I relate to that. When I first came out, my mom, uh, her response was, I don't want you to live that type of lifestyle because I don't want you to have to worry about getting killed. Yeah. And it's, how did you react to like your mom being concerned about that? Like, did you think that she was just being overprotective or did you understand? I completely understood, Mm -hmm. especially because, you know, that's one of the reasons that I myself stayed in the closet because I had read so many stories about Mm -hmm. all these violent acts taken out against trans people, more specifically trans women of color. But, you know, there's still stories out Mm -hmm. there of trans men that who do get assaulted. Yeah. And so it was something that I understood completely. 
And so I understood her hesitation in letting me do this because there is a period of time where it's obvious that you're somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, when you're in that in between, it's something that can be really scary because they don't know. Yeah. And so in that time when you're so vulnerable, you know, you're kind of extra guarded because you're easier to figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, did you want to talk about taking hormones and kind of your experience with taking hormones oh, yeah. and yeah. Um, so I started taking hormones on the 22nd of December of 2017. And so I've been on hormones for over a year now, which is crazy to think of now. <laughs> but, um, I do, I actually do it by taking a shot and I do mine weekly. Mm-hmm. It varies depending on where you're at and like your doctor and how much your dose is and what kind of testosterone you're taking. But um, I do my shot subcutaneous, which means that I do my shot in my stomach fat. Mm-hmm. And um, so I do that weekly. And you actually start off on a lower dose. So when I first started, my dose was like 0.1. Mm-hmm. And that's because they're kind of testing the waters. They want to make sure that your body first like takes it in. And once you know your body starts getting accustomed and you start getting used to it and all your levels are still okay. Because in taking these hormones, you go from... You have the same risk factors for certain things as uh, cis men, like cisgender men, men mm-hmm. who were born men. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I have to go get labs done pretty f- frequently to make sure that everything still looks fine, make sure that my cholesterol is in check and all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. And um, so now my dose is actually at 04 Mm-hmm. And that's milliliters, just in case anybody <laughs> yeah. wasn't sure. Do yeah. you do your own shot, or do you yeah. go into? Um, so actually, that was one of the things. So at the time, I didn't exactly have my license, and if I would have done uh, intramuscular shots, I would have had to go back uh, mm-hmm. every week for like the next few weeks to actually have a nurse do it. And so I wasn't able. I wasn't going to be able to go back every week just for that. And so. I actually went with subcutaneous for convenience sake because if I did subcutaneous, um, I would actually just be able to leave and do my shot on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have the biggest changes been for you personally? Um, like physical or emotional? He can go into either. So physically, definitely my voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could probably even like pull up an old uh, video of what it used to sound like. Um, but my voice has definitely dropped significantly. <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, I would, because I have uh, monthly voice updates. I actually mm-hmm. have them up on my Twitter. And I would always, like, go through and I'd be so excited to, like, for the month to come to just make it, just to hear the slightest change. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because there's really no significant change until month three. But I can yeah. swear by month one that my voice was so different, but mm-hmm. it wasn't. Um it's funny, actually, because when it comes to your voice, it doesn't exactly drop first. Mm-hmm. It's more like the quality of it changes first. So it yeah. kind of becomes this slightly raspier tone. And then from there, it actually starts to drop. Um, and then along with my voice, my face has actually changed significantly because mm-hmm. I used to have a lot of baby fat in my face. It was very round. And so it's still pretty round. It's still pretty baby-faced, but it's not as drastic as it used to be. Mm -hmm. And so that's really funny to see. And then on top of that, I actually just recently finally started growing facial hair. 
which is great because I'm only five foot two, so I look <laughs> twelve without it. Yeah, I feel ya. Yeah, so it's it's good to have. <laughs> um, and then emotionally, it's been really good for me because mm-hmm. it kind of because before it was so much easier to feel so. I was actually depressed, um, and I'm not saying that hormones can cure everything because they can't. Mm-hmm. But one of the main reasons that I was so depressed was because I was fighting to see the real me that was underneath. And in taking these hormones, I was finally able to do that day by day, change by change. Mm-hmm. I could finally see the guy that I had expected to see as I grew up. And it mm-hmm. was something that was just very freeing. Yeah. It felt right. It's it's a feeling of like euphoria every yeah. time you really like focus on it. Exactly. Were there any changes that like really surprised you too or Yeah. Um <laughs> there's uh so <laughs> mostly I would say the thing that shocked me the most is actually how hairy I got. <laughs> because you know, um my dad himself, he's not very hairy, like mm-hmm. my dad can barely grow a beard, like <laughs> he's hairless everywhere. And even my dad actually commented it, like comments on it all the time because like I'm hairier than my dad, mm-hmm. which is really funny. Like my legs are hairier than my dad and like my dad has like no stomach hair, no chest hair and I've got like stomach and chest hair and it's just <laughs> something really funny to look back at because I wasn't expecting it to happen. Yeah. So. As you feel outmanned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like every time like we talk, there's like a new change that you've discovered and you're like, Hey Stella, like this happened today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, no, that was yeah. different. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, actually I went up half a shoe size. Wow. Actually, that's not really much of an accomplishment. <laughs> thanks, thanks for it's trying to make me change. feel good. It's a surprising change that a lot of people don't yeah. really consider. I don't know how or why, but I mm-hmm. definitely did go up half a shoe size. Yeah. I've heard yeah. of people who like uh, started hormones before like their uh, growth plates fused. Yeah, that's what I was. I was a little too late. It's okay. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Um, what has your experience with binding uh, been like? How did you learn about it in the first place? I, mean, I think um, you've gotten your top surgery yeah, now, I got but yeah. like before, surgery, yeah. But, mm-hmm. um, before I actually had, um, you know, while googling everything about being trans, I actually came across binding, and it was something that was really cool mm-hmm. to me, you know, because you know, for the last six years, my chest had been busy growing when I didn't want it to, yeah. and so just the thought that something that I could wear could actually flatten it and make it look the way I had expected to was something that was so surreal to me. Yeah. (laughs) But um, at the time, I didn't actually have the funds to get my binder. Mm -hmm. And so my best friend, actually, the one that I first came out to, she bought me my first binder. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually still have it. I, like, keep it around. Um, It's something that... It's both freeing and and constricting. Yeah. (laughs) Freeing in the emotional sense and constricting in the literal sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, it's freeing in the sense that you finally get to see your chest flat, but Mm -hmm. it's constricting in the sense that, you know, it's tight. Yeah. You can't, it makes it Mm -hmm. harder to breathe, harder to do physical activity, Mm -hmm. and it can be really limiting, especially when it's hot out. It gets even worse. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm really glad that I got surgery so that way I don't have to go through that again this spring and summer. <laughs> yeah, because that can be miserable. <laughs> um, I feel like it's a euphoric experience for everybody like with uh, chest dysphoria to try on their binder and look at themselves for yeah. the first time. I actually uh, cried. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh. It's such go, like, an amazing feeling. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, so... My friend actually dropped it off. This is actually <laughs> this is actually a kind of funny story. Um, mm-hmm. She brought it to me in a it's a boy bag. <laughs> yeah, she, she thinks she's funny. It is funny to be fair. <laughs> um, so she brought it to me in a it's a boy bag, and I like as soon as she like brought it in, I like uh, went into my room and I tore it out of the package and I put it on, and I went into the bathroom to look into the mirror. And I just remember turning sideways and like seeing it be flat and it just made it more surreal because, you know, it was finally happening. I was mm-hmm. finally making those steps to be the man that I had always envisioned I would be. And so I just mm-hmm. kind of started crying. Aww. Yeah. Thank you for passing them on to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, perfect. And then, um, kind of, sorry, I got really involved in that and now I'm like going back to the questions. Um, but when you're going into your transition, um, you kind of talked about it, your experience in like bathrooms and everything, but what has it been like, um, in public spaces? Um, it's actually really weird, uh, how much things change when you're in these public spaces because, you know, um, people start to treat you different and there's actually mm-hmm. different rules that you have to abide by when you're in these different public spaces. Like, especially when it comes to bathrooms, you know, there's a lot of rules when it comes to being in the men's restroom as opposed to being in the women's, you know, like in the women's, you go in there and you go in groups and you're talking and mm-hmm. you don't care what's going on. And so to have to go from that, to go to the men's where it's quiet, you keep your head down, you go in, you do your mm-hmm. business, you don't talk to anybody, you don't look at anybody, you're just in, you're out, you're done. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that was really weird. I actually had an, uh, Actually, I have never had a guy talk to me while I've been in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, a couple of weeks ago, some dude actually talked to me, and it threw me really off guard. Because <laughs> I was like, "What are you doing? You're you're breaking the rule. You're breaking the bro like code." As you guys are doing yeah. your business. No, thank God. <laughs> that would have been a bit awkward. That would have I wouldn't have known what to do at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I was, like, walking in, and he was like, sup? And I just was kind of taking it back, and I was like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of weird. But um, other public spaces, too, you know, um, it's actually interesting, you know, because I've had women who will actually walk faster or constantly mm-hmm. glance back at me mm-hmm. when they see me behind them. And it's interesting because, you know, when mm-hmm. I once was them, and so... It kind of, it kind of, it almost hurt the first time it happened mm-hmm. just because it's, it's hard to be seen as a threat. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to be a, to be seen as a bad guy, mm-hmm. especially when you haven't done anything. Yeah. You know? And so the first time it was kind of off putting, it kind of made me realize just how much of a bad rep men have gotten over the years because of everything that has happened. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> And so it was really weird. Um, there's also just, you know, the stereotypes when it comes to um, also, like, your race as well. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, like, I had uh, an experience where um, I was actually there. So there was a woman walking in front of me, and there was also uh, another man. 
and he was uh, white, and she saw him, you know, and she didn't, she didn't speed up, she didn't do anything, mm-hmm. but uh, I guess she heard me further back, and she, like, looked back, and she saw me, she just started speed walking, she started booking it, like, to her car, and she kept, like, glancing back, and I was just trying to, you know, like, get to, like, the bus, uh-huh. I I I didn't know what to do. I, mm-hmm. I she even made me actually walk faster because I thought there was like something behind me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was so confused. I like looked back a few times trying to figure out what we were running from until I figured <laughs> out it was me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was definitely interesting. Ouch. Um, have you experienced any like discrimination when it comes to like your friends, family, or like the general public? Um, I personally haven't yet but i think that has a lot to do with the fact that i'm at a point where i pass so well Mm -hmm. that um people can't exactly tell because Mm -hmm. for some reason people have this preconceived notion that you can actually tell when someone's trans Uh uh-huh oh boy really can't Mm. um it's really interesting to me because you know it's something that you really can't tell at all once somebody has started their medical transition and i have people tell me all the time once i you know confide in them like hey you know like I've gone through this transition and they sit there and they tell me like, wow, like I couldn't even tell. Yeah. And you know, that's the point. You Uh you can't tell. A lot of people say things along those lines as like a compliment, but it doesn't really come off as that. It, it sort of sounds like stereotyping if that makes sense because they're like, wow, I couldn't even tell that you were trans. And it's like, what is a trans person supposed to look like? Like, what does that mean? (laughs) Yeah. Uh Yeah. And, What's oh, sorry, the point? Yeah, sorry. What's the point in transitioning if mm-hmm. you can tell? The yeah. point in me transitioning is not only so that you can't tell, but so yeah. that I can't tell. I feel like that's yeah. such a weird thing to say, like, oh, you're passing so well. Like, yeah. that's not... Mm-hmm. Yeah, Let's it's, not say it's that. almost like a dependent <laughs> compliment. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm curious. You said you haven't really experienced any discrimination as being a trans man, but, but have you noticed any shift in how people treat you as a male as opposed to when you identified as female? Yeah, it's actually really interesting because it kind of, um, you know, you meet people and they kind of have these preconceived notions just because of what they already know about men, you know, or like the stereotypical man. And so I've uh, met up with people and, you know, I've had girls who will tell me like, oh, wow, you know, like you're you're so nice. Like you're mm-hmm. like you you get it like you're not like overly demanding and like you're not like you don't over insert yourself and it's just kind of like well yeah like uh, i don't know why you thought i would you don't know me (laughs) yeah um and there's also the thing with like just guys in general guys tend to treat you different you know um i actually had this situation once where i was uh at a bus stop and i had my headphones on and there was a girl who was sitting next to me and she didn't have any headphones on and some dude walked up and instead of asking her for um the schedule he actually walked over to me and he had me like take my headphones off and he was asking me questions and i just kind of sat there and i was like so you think she can't tell you bus schedule oh my gosh <laughs> it's just really interesting <sighs> you know and on top of that um you know people tend to look at you like i was in a class where i was uh the only guy in the group actually and time and time again you know everybody would look at me whenever we would do like projects or whenever it was time to mm-hmm. speak, like everybody would look at me and they'd have me do it. Mm-hmm. And it was just really interesting to me because I know that like before that wouldn't have been a thing. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, have you been able to find the resources to accommodate and support your transition? 
yet. It's actually <laughs> it sounded like I had more to say, but <laughs> <that's it. laughs> uh, yeah, um, I actually have, which is really great. I owe a lot of that to my insurance, which I'm so so thankful for. Um, I'm actually thankful for my mom because she's the reason I have the insurance. Um, so when it comes to you know filling prescriptions and you know doing the surgery and everything. I actually had a zero copay when it came to my surgery, which is why we hopped on it so quickly because I know that um, once my mother renews my insurance plan this year, I'm not going to have the same plan. And so um, knowing that I had it free in that moment in time, it was something that was really pressing for me to get done. And so I went and I got it done. And then on top of that, with the hormones, you know, when it comes to hormones, you're not just buying your testosterone. You're buying mm-hmm. your testosterone, and you're buying the needles to take the testosterone out of the vial, and then you're buying the needles that you actually use to do the shot, and you have to get the syringes, and you have to get these alcohol wipes to make sure that the area is sterile and like clean, and you have to get all this stuff. And depending on your dose, sometimes you have to refill these prescriptions, you know, like every mm-hmm. couple of weeks. And so I know that without insurance, that would have been pretty expensive. And so now I don't pay as much as I probably would have. I remember um, talking with you and there was a moment when your insurance was like oh. in flux. Yeah. And there was um, the situation. I can't remember if it was yeah. like. Actually, you just reminded me. I actually did face discrimination for being trans. Yeah. Um, so my insurance uh, ran out. That's not where the discrimination happened. Um, but uh, my insurance ran out and I had to renew it. And so I was actually off of hormones for two weeks because I had ran out and um, I couldn't go refill that prescription at Kaiser. And so I actually talked to my insurance company and they told me to go to some other pharmacy that wasn't Kaiser Mm -hmm. and just give them my information and that they would cover the costs and I would be able to get my hormones and everything sorted. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go to CVS Pharmacy actually. And um, there they told me that they had uh, asked Kaiser for my prescription, but the Kaiser wasn't giving it to them. And I kept going back and back, and they actually called me, and they were like, oh, your prescription's here. And so I thought that I was getting my hormones, but when I walked in, they just had some needles, and they weren't even the right needles. And so I thought that it was just a Kaiser thing, but when I went back to my endocrinologist, she told me that they should have given it to me and that she actually didn't see, like, anything in there about me getting my hormones and um i also have another friend who's also been to mm-hmm. cbs and they also give him a really hard time when he tries to get his testosterone and everything yeah. and so that just really sunk it in for me that it's not an insurance problem it's a cbs problem <laughs> yeah that's something that I've, I've heard that same thing from so many trans people trying to get their hormones from cbs yeah. it's apparently not, not an easy process. Not a good place to go. Yeah. yeah. Now we're, uh, <laughs> sorry, CVS. <laughs> what are things you would like to see happen? Oh, sorry. No, you're fine. Sorry. Uh, what are things you would like to see happen for transgenders and LGBTQ uh, people in general with like rights, policies, and the community's okay. needs? Like any laws you'd like to see passed? I would like to see the transgender ban be revoked because I think it's something that's just ridiculous, you know, because trans people have been serving for a very long time and it's Mm -hmm. never been a problem. And I know that a lot of people think it's something, you know, I constantly see people saying that it's because we're mentally unstable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I find that interesting because if we were mentally unstable, then why would they give us hormones? Why would they give us these things that could potentially be dangerous to us? Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and on top of that, 
when you come back from war, you suffer from PTSD more often than not. So the soldiers that you bring back and send back out, they Mm -hmm. themselves can be unstable. So I don't see why they would use mentally being Mm -hmm. unstable as a trans person when we're really not, yeah. you know, because we go to therapy. Like, that's the point, you know, like you have mm-hmm. your therapist that you go to. You have these licensed professionals mm-hmm. who, you know, you talk to and you mm-hmm. tell them how you're feeling. And, you know, and they're like, OK, so here's what we're going to do. You're yeah. going to transition. Mm-hmm. You know, that is that's my medicine. My medicine isn't, you know, like suffering or anything. It's, you know, you're trans. You have gender dysphoria you're going to transition. Yeah. And, um, I actually heard about, um, I'm not sure if this is true or not, Mm -hmm. but I know that you do get like evaluated for a lot of things when like, uh, you first enter the military and if you're like seen to not be fit to serve at any time, they'll Mm -hmm. discharge you. And if trans people weren't like mentally stable enough to handle it, we wouldn't have served at all. Yeah. Like throughout history, we would have been taken out, but nope. There's still plenty of us in the military right exactly. now, whether we, uh, whether we're like out or not. Yeah, exactly. And so that law, well, that rule, I guess I'm not sure if it's a law, yeah. is uh, just encouraging people to go back into the closet. Yeah. Or encouraging people to stop being in the military. So yeah, that too. <laughs> depends on how you see it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, what are two things that you wish you could have like told yourself in the beginning of this process? The biggest thing I wish I could have told myself was that. It was going to be okay because you know the only reason I had kept it a secret for so long was because I thought that it wasn't going to be okay I thought that I was gonna um you know get disowned and that I was going to lose everything but that wasn't exactly the case so that's just something that I wish I could go back and tell myself like you can come out you can tell them you're going to be okay it's all going to be okay I think every youth who's like still trying to figure out their identity um I think all of them need to hear yeah. that pretty yeah. much because I know that like back when I was figuring things out, it would have been great if I had somebody there to tell me that. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I feel like I needed <laughs> to hear that right now. <laughs> same, same. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Uh, can you tell us three things you have learned while starting your transition until now? Yeah. Number one, um, you know, take every day in stride. Mm-hmm. You never know what's going to happen. You never know what changes are coming. You just have to take everything in stride. Um, number two, I would say, is patience. Mm-hmm. Patience, patience, patience. You know, because in the beginning, you want everything to get done so quickly, and you're rushing to get it done because you're like, I need this, and I need it now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's going to fly by once it starts happening, and you're just going to have to look back and be like, man, like, that happened, and now I'm mm-hmm. here, and it's so crazy to think of. Um and then number three, I think, would be just be yourself, like unapolog- <laughs> like unapologetically just be yourself because there's only one you. And while there's only one you, there are still people out there that are like you and that share those mm-hmm. similarities. And so if they can see those similarities, they're not going to feel as alone. Mm-hmm. And then um, for a final question, you just kind of gave some really good advice, but is there any other advice that you would give to someone who's going through the process of transitioning and figuring everything out with their gender identity? Yeah. Just try all kinds of things and realize that gender expression and gender identity are two completely different things. You know, like Mm -hmm. you can be a man and still 
wear nail polish or want to do this or want to do that and you can be a woman and still want to be masculine you know there's a difference between your gender identity and your gender expression one does not equal the other and so don't feel confined to fit into these stereotypes just because of your transition i salute you my good sir <laughs> thank you mm-hmm. thank you so much yeah, yeah thank you guys yeah you know i think it's really pretty impressive to see someone who is so confident um, and I think mm-hmm. and I was listening to you tell the, the details of your story, which I I hadn't really heard all of before. Mm-hmm. You shared a lot of it in class, but I the one thing I remember about you is that you were always so you had a huge smile on your face every time you walked in the door. <laughs> and there were other people in the class, there were other students in the class who were exploring some gender identity, and mm-hmm. some identified as trans, and they clearly didn't have the level of support at home that you did. Yeah. They were really very much alone, and I remember the lack of smile on their mm-hmm. faces. And so, you know, I really think you're a great example, and I think your parents are a great example. Yeah. I mean, everybody goes through that struggle, right? But but your parents are really an amazing example, as is your sister, mm-hmm. for the difference it can make. It's mm-hmm. the difference between a big smile and a lack of one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I love them. They're my biggest support system, like, by far. So that's pretty awesome. So we have a couple of minutes, and I just have to ask this question. Mm-hmm. Are you in a relationship right now? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I am. And I have been for the last, it'll be a year and a half, actually, in August. And it's long distance. And so she'll actually be here in California in August. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. How did you meet? Um, I actually met her online. I met her through her brother, actually. Yeah, I was in a group chat on Twitter, and I ended up um, adding her brother on Snapchat, and I saw her through his snaps that he was sending me. And so she asked for my number, and then we just hit it off from there. Good for you. Yeah, Good I love her. Congratulations. You. Thank you. That's awesome. Well, we have just about a, a minute left, and so I want to remind everybody about the other Capstone project that's taking place this week that you're invited to participate in. On Wednesday, May 1st, from 12.30 to 3.30, uh, there are a group of students that are hosting a free HIV testing clinic at Napa Valley College. You don't have to be a student at the college to come. You can simply come by if you're in Napa and come to room 1204. I think there are going to be some goodies there, uh, some giveaways, and also a, a little coupon for some little bite if you actually come back and get your test results. So that's going to be kind of exciting. That's this Wednesday at 12.30. So what do you think? Riley, Stella, pretty good job, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. (laughs) You're amazing. You know, you're like living proof that, you know, you can experience all of these horrible things like while figuring yourself out. Mm -hmm. And it's all still going to be okay later as long as you just keep pushing through it. And I think, well... All LGBT youth needs to hear that. Mm-hmm. I, I know that I definitely needed it, so mm-hmm. I'd like to thank you for that. Yeah, definitely. And then from like a personal perspective, you're just like an incredible friend and like an incredible light to have around too. <laughs> like I just love being with you. You sound super cool. Just from and, what I've heard. Yeah, you're just you're so incredible. So it's amazing that you're able to share your story and. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks all three of you for coming in tonight and being part of the show. Thank you. Thank you for thank having you. us. What if I told you that you could get peace of mind in just 20 minutes and it's free? If you've ever wondered if you contracted HIV and aren't sure, you can get tested for free 
confidentially and anonymously with results in just 20 minutes. Call face-to-face at 544-1581 or visit f2f.org. Face-to-face, ending AIDS in Sonoma County, 20 minutes at a time. And before we go tonight, I wanted to share with you some information on upcoming Pride events. Of course, Sonoma County Pride kicks off the Pride celebration season this year. Sonoma County Pride committee members have put together events spanning the first two weeks of June. Everything starts on May 31st with a fireside chat with Jim Obergefell and a Pride kickoff party. The parade and festival will take place on Saturday, June 1st at Courthouse Square in Santa Rosa. Now, this year's festival is bigger and better than ever with two live performance stages and over 80 vendor booths. The parade kicks off down 4th Street at 11 a.m. and an after party completes the day. And on Sunday, June 2nd, there will be a family picnic at Juilliard Park. We'll have Sonoma County Pride representatives with us during our shows in the last two weeks of May with all the final details you need. And then later in June, I'd love for you to join us at Napa Valley College for a very special workshop titled Replacing Shame with Pride. This is being facilitated by Bay sex and relationship coach Finn Deerhart. Finn will be my guest in May, and you may remember him from our February show when he was on with Davey Wavy. He's really a fascinating guy, and he's really passionate about helping members of our community discover happiness, deeper connectivity, and intimacy. His workshop will happen on Saturday, June 15th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can get tickets and learn more via the link on our website at outbeatnews.com. My thanks tonight to all the students from Napa Valley College's LGBT Studies program who shared their project with us. Be sure to tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB-FM Radio 91. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. Podcasts of our programs are available for on-demand play on our website at outbeatnews.com and on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates from Outbeat Radio News all month long. Support for Outbeat Radio and KRCBFM comes from listeners and from the Redwood Coast Music Festival, featuring a music mix of blues, Americana, traditional New Orleans jazz, Zydeco, rockabilly, and western swing. It happens May 9th through the 12th in Eureka. The artists include Ilana James, Tom Rigney and Flambeau, the Twilight Drifters, the Clint Baker Jazz Band, Cornet Chop Suey, and on the Levy Jazz Band. Tickets and information are available at rcmfest.org. You're listening to Radio 91, KRCB-FM Windsor, and K215CQ Santa Rosa. It's 9 p.m. Stay with us. Afropop is next. <laughs>